Thank you so much for listening to today's podcast of the teaching at Life Journey Church in Crozet, Virginia. We believe that the gospel really is good news, that the blood of Jesus worked, and that Jesus meant it when he said, It is finished. In Christ, we are dead to sin and alive to God, forgiven and free, clean and close, holy and beloved, blessed and made new. If God is doing something special in your life, we would love for you to tell us about it. You can simply email us at info at lifejourneyva.com. One of the reasons we are able to provide these weekly podcasts is because of the generosity of people like you. If you would like to support the proclamation of the gospel of the grace of God, you can make a donation now on our website, lifejourneyva.com. So as you may or may not know, hopefully we all are on the same page. Hey, David. We are um, in a series that we're calling uh, The Gospel According to Marriage. I said the series, and Siri said, what can I help you with? Um, I don't know. How do I turn that off? I don't want to talk to you. All right, we'll see if that happens again. That might be a bad thing. Um, So the gospel according to marriage, this is our theme that we're working through. Um, And what I've kind of, I've tried to lay out is this idea that, you know, if if you think that this series is going to be focused on, you know, the seven steps, you know, to building a successful marriage, or what have I said, uh, the five keys to how to be happy though married, um, it's not really what we're going to, look at. That's not really what we're going to do, and that might be kind of disappointing uh, because maybe what you're looking for or what you think you're looking for is just, hey, give me the steps. Give me the, hey, do this and then do that and then and do this, and out pops a, a healthy, you know, at least, you know, amicable marriage. And, uh, you know, in the bookstore, if you go into the bookstore and go into, like, the marriage section, uh, man, there's tons. I counted them. Gazillion. G- gazillion. Uh, it took me a while. Books in the bookstore on marriage, and most of them are simply, you know, follow these guidelines, follow these steps, follow these rules, if you will. And, and I'm not saying that's unproductive or, you know, unhealthy a- at all, um, but if simply having knowledge of how-tos, like in practical, you know, steps is the secret to marriage, well, with all of the books that we have on marriage, then we should have some really, really successful and healthy marriages if we just follow the steps and the keys to doing marriage. But that's just not reality. We have people, even in this room, who have uh, a variety of experiences with marriage. Uh, Some have uh, given up completely on the concept of marriage, uh, got, been there, done that, got the t-shirt and said, hey, I'm, I'm never going to touch that thing again because it was just, you know, it didn't work and I don't want to do it. Others have gone through uh, either divorce yourself or others have been children of divorced parents and you saw the pain that that went through. And so you're like, man, getting married, tying the knot, you know, getting the old, you know, um, you know, uh, what's it called? Hitch, getting hitched. You know, I'm not even going to play that game because it's, it's just, I've seen the horror of it. Um, others have, you know, become a, a product of, of marriage being an expectation in culture. And so, you know, you do it um, because you just do it. And, and I think that's kind of where I would fit in. I, I got married 14 years ago to a beautiful young lady, uh, but I really didn't know the why behind the what. Um, and so we come from a variety of different 
experiences when we say this word marriage. Uh, some have been ready, like literally within inches of just throwing in the towel of your current marriage uh, several times. I'll never forget the thousand pieces of, of uh, well, just pieces that uh, uh, cordless, remember old school cordless telephones that you had at the house, you know, back in the day, um, that I threw against the wall, you know, because I was just so mad at this woman that I was supposed to be spending the rest of my life with, and I'm just ready to just, you know, crush a telephone, I guess, you know. And so we've all been there. We know what that feels like. And so is it simply just going to the bookstore and finding, you know, the seven steps to how to be happy, though married? And I just think it's bigger than that. What I'm learning, and, and, and I put that ING there on purpose because I, I certainly haven't learned at all, but what I'm learning is that marriage here on earth is a shadow of something really, really big. And so what we're doing in this series, just for everybody's you know, bringing up to speed, is we're pushing, the, we're pushing away from the table a little bit of just, you know, delving into the surface level, you know, do this and don't do that. Make sure you make coffee before she wakes up, you know, or this or that. You know, th- those things are, can be good. But we're pushing back from the table from that a little bit and really investigating the why behind the what. Why does marriage even exist? And if, if, if you didn't catch the first couple podcasts on this, the big idea is that what Paul reveals to us in uh, Ephesians 5, he says that there is a big reason. In fact, he says, for this reason. Now, if you read someone that says, for this reason, and then they go on to say what you do because of a reason, it's really important for us to know, and I know this is you know, not English class, but what is the antecedent to the pronoun this? In other words, what is this referring to? For this reason, a man leaves his mother and father and cleaves unto his wife to become one flesh. What is that reason? Well, Paul just, and this was two weeks ago, I'm just trying to bring us up to speed. Paul just described how Jesus Christ himself had died and purchased through his blood a bride to join himself to where the two, Jesus and humanity who believe in Jesus, become one together, joined to the point where Jesus even cares for the bride to the same exact extent that he cares for himself. He cherishes the bride to the same level. He cherishes his own self because he sees the bride, you who believe, as one with him, as his own Self is one with him. That's pretty powerful when you really stop and think about just how one we are with Christ. So this marriage, this union of the church in Christ is the substance called marriage in the eternal heavens, and there's a shadow being cast in this world called marriage between a husband and wife. And so the shadow of marriage between a man and a woman is a is a is a it's an outflow, it's a shadow of what is happening and has happened and will continue to happen in eternity in heaven. And so Paul says, for this reason, because of Christ and his bride, because of what is going on in the heavenly realm, for that reason, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife and the two become one flesh. And so when I look at that, I see, all right, I've got issues here with the two becoming one flesh the husband and the wife. We've got problems. We've got issues. We've got complications. We've got, you know, the the shadow is fuzzy. And so how do we fix the fuzzy shadow? All I'm saying is let's get back over here to the substance and really investigate the substance and understand what the substance is because the clearer the substance of Christ and his church is, the clearer the shadow is going to be in day-to-day life. And so that's what we're doing. 
And on the first week when we talked about this, we said that the shadow of marriage on earth is to flow from the substance of our union with Christ. And then last week, we talked about how we went back to the very first marriage, the very first union of a husband and a wife and in, in Genesis. And we talked about how just as, it's on the podcast, just as Eve was a perfect fit for Adam because she came from him. Remember, none of the animals were fit for him. But she was perfect for him because she came from his very side. In the same exact way, you, the church, are a perfect fit for Jesus because you came from him. You have been born of his spirit, born of his very life. He is your life. Just as Adam looked at Eve and said, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, this is woman before she was taken from man in this complete you know, ecstasy of, of compatibility. That but a shadow of the substance where Christ has presented to himself a bride that Ephesians 5 says is holy and blameless with no spot, no wrinkle, or any such thing. Why? Because the bride, the church, you have been born of him. And so like with song we just sang, in a metaphorical spiritual sense, his very blood is what's pulsating through our veins in the spirit, if you will. And so today, we're going to move forward in this little idea of examining the substance so we can understand the shadow. And we're going to uh, share some thoughts about the difference between, and, 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 and this might sound weird, I know if you read the email from yesterday, even as I typed it, I, I, in fact I sent it to some of our elders just so that you know, it didn't uh, sound too weird, but it sounds weird to me, and I wrote it. Um, but we're going to investigate, we're going to take a look at God's first marriage, because God's been married before, and it didn't end up well. And there was terms of his first marriage, and then he had a second marriage, his current marriage. And we're going to see the difference between God's first marriage with Israel and his second marriage with Israel, which is his current marriage. Because here's what we're going to see. If we're not careful, we can easily base our marriage between a husband and wife, on God's first marriage with Israel. And if we do that, then I'm just telling you, it's going to get messy and messy and messy. And I'll show you what I mean in a second. But if we start to base, and you know what I mean by base, like the foundation of our marriage, if we start to base our marriage with our wife, with our husband, on God's second marriage, then, and I, think, I would say only then, things start to come into clarity. So before we get started in this, I need a volunteer, and this is a trick question, kind of, so I'm warning you, you know, so I don't, I don't want anybody to feel bad, you know, I'm warning you, so now nobody's going to answer. Um, what are the two greatest commandments under the law? What are the two greatest commandments under the law? That's not really that trick question. That part, the next part, kind of a more trick. Thou shalt love, okay, so love the Lord your God with all your what? Heart, soul, mind, and I think another one throws in body as well. 
Love God. Let's just summarize it to love God. And the second is like it. Thou shalt love your neighbor as yourself. And, is, and those are the two greatest commandments under the law. Now here's maybe the part we don't think about all the time. So love God and love people, including your wife or your husband. They are a people. They might seem like an alien someday, you know, but they are a people. Um, The two greatest commandments under the law are love God and love people. Now here's the part we don't think about. As new covenant believers, because there are no other sort, are we under the law? Yes or no? No. No. Emphatically, we shall say no. In fact, what is our relationship to the law, to the Mosaic law? Starts with a D. Dead. We can say it's louder. Maybe my hearing is a little weird. The cold front came through, and it's like messed with my, you know, hearing. We're dead to the law, Right? So the greatest commandments under law is love God and love people, and we are not under that. We are dead to that. And that feels a little weird because aren't we to love God and to love people? Well, here's what the commandment was. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, body, strength, and love your neighbor as much as you love yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. Well, what's the problem with that? What's the source of that love? What's the the, um, uh, context of that love? The context of that love is for you to love God with everything you've got. And for you to love your neighbor as much as you love yourself. And so there's subjectivity in that. How much do I even love myself? What, what, how, do, how, how am I supposed to? I don't have much strength left. How am I to love God? And so there's a subjectivity to it. But the commandment was for you, basically, if I can summarize, to love God perfectly and to love others perfectly. And so under that system, the Jews, they tried their best to do that. And if we're not careful as Christians, we're going to place ourselves under that law of trying our best in our efforts of our flesh to love God with all we got and to love our neighbor with all we got. But what I'm trying to explain to us is that that is the greatest commandment under the law, the very law we are not under. So let's stop wasting our time trying to love God with all we got and, try, and stop wasting our time trying to love our neighbor as much as we love ourselves. Because Jesus gives us a new commandment. And this is up on the screen. He says, a new commandment I give you. This is in John 13, right before he's arrested. This is the night of his arrest. And he's saying, guys, things like we just sang about are about to be different. Everything is about to be radically different. You have heard that love is supposed to be you trying your best to love God, you trying your best to love your neighbor, but I'm telling you, things are about to be radically different, and we, 2,000 years later, are a little slow to embrace what he clearly says here 2,000 years ago. He says a new commandment. So, So let's don't go back to the love God, love people commandment. A new commandment I give you. Now look at this. That you love one another even as I have loved you, that you will also love 
one another. Now, on the surface level, that might not sound all that different. The first one was love God and love people as much as you love yourself. And he's saying, no, no, a new commandment. This is different. This is you love as much as I have loved you. It's not love God and love people as much as you love yourself, but this is love one another as much as I have loved you. What's the difference? Well, the difference is the reference point of the first commandment, the first ones, was yourself as best as you can, as faithfully as you love yourself, you love others. But the reference point of this new command and the new covenant is we love one another even as or as much as or to the degree of Jesus loving us. So the source of the first is whatever you got in your tank, your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength, you pour it out, you love God and others. But in this new one, the source is you love to the degree that I have loved you. Now, we must wrestle. So, so in other words, we are to love as much as Jesus has loved us. In order to do that, in order for us to love one another, even to love God as much as Jesus loves me, let's think of what do we firstly need to do? We've got to start figuring out how much what? Yeah, Jesus loves us. If the commandment is you love as much as I love you, then I got to figure out, well, how much does he love me? Because that's my new point. That's my new reference. That's my new fixed order, fixed point. And so we've got to wrestle with the idea of just how much Jesus actually loves us. Now, this is the new command. This is what Jesus says in general about the new covenant. You love as much as I have loved you, and how in the world do we get to know, how do we, in the world do we do that? We do that by resting in how much he loves us. We dive to the depths of this love he has for us, and guess what starts to generate out of us as we receive his love for us? Oh, yeah, the fruit of the Spirit, which is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. So the very thing that are, is pouring into us as we re, have revelation of his love for us starts being manifested out of us, not out of the strength of our flesh, but out of a revelation of his love for us in the heart. And so let's apply this into marriage, and this is exactly what Paul does over in Ephesians 5. Now, now before I click over, so this is what Jesus says. A commandment I give you, love one another even as I have loved you. All right, so that's the general commandment of the new covenant. You receive, you put yourself underneath the everlasting water flow of my love for you, and then that comes out of you to one another. John, in his letter, says in the same way. He says, we love because he first loved us. So it's receiving and sharing what's being received, very natural. Now, Ephesians 5, in the context of marriage, he says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ also loved the church. See, it's the exact same thing. I'll, I'll click back. He says, a commandment I give you that you love one another even as I have loved you. That's the general. Now, Paul contextualizes that into this idea of marriage, specifically with husbands. He says, husbands, love your wives 
as much as Christ loved the church. So in order for a husband to love his wife as much as Christ loved the church, what does the husband need to discover? And this isn't hard. He needs to discover how much Christ loves the church. So I'm going to go on a limb and assume that it's not only been me in those dark moments of marriage that have, you know, destroyed wireless telephones. I'm going to go out on a limb, not to put anybody on the spot, okay, unless I start getting pointing fingers from wives. Um, I'm going to go out on a limb and say that probably each one of us, in one way, level, shape, form, or fashion, have been there struggling, whether your husband or your wife, to love the one that you are with. Can, can, I, get a, can I get a witness, right? Yeah, right? So the question is, in this new covenant, how do I love her or him? And what we're going to see today is we love them by learning and discovering how much he loves us. So the first covenant, the law, was you do it as best as you can based on how much you love yourself. But this new covenant, this new command, is you love based on how you receive and feel and experience and know the love of Christ towards you. Huge difference. One is subjective. The other is not. It's Christ. So how does a husband love his wife? How does a wife love his husband, her husband? By getting to know how much Christ loved the church. And that's what we're going to talk about in our few minutes we have remaining. How much does Jesus love the church? Well, let's go back to Jeremiah 31. And we're going to take a look at one of the greatest summaries of God's first marriage with Israel and his second marriage with Israel. And the second marriage with Israel, as we know, is the one that we have been made a part of, which we'll talk about more on that in a second. So back in Jeremiah 31, 600 some odd years before Jesus was even born, in the worst of the worst times of judgment of the nation of Israel because of their sin, God sends word through the prophet named Jeremiah that a new day is going to come, a, in fact, a new covenant. He says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Okay, has anybody ever heard marriage being described as a covenant, marriage covenant? Sure, I mean, we all have. In fact, that's what we've been talking about, the shadow substance concept. And so what it, we're slow to see sometimes is that God himself was in a covenant, in a marriage, in a relationship with a group of people that didn't work out so well. And it's weird to think about this word being used with God, but I think it's okay you can have your opinion in a second when we pass the mic around, but it looks like to me, especially the verse we're going to see in a second, that God himself has been through divorce. It's like, whoa, does that feel weird that God's been through divorce? It sounds pretty clear to me that he has. And so for any of us who have been through divorce, one of the greatest tricks of the enemy is for him to get you to think that you're, you're finished. You're done. You have no, nothing to contribute, nothing to add to the kingdom. In fact, there's a group of 
churches that, that I know well that won't even let someone who's been divorced do what I'm doing here this morning because they're no, they have no value in declaring the mercy and the forgiveness and the good news of Jesus because they have ended the marriage in divorce. Some groups think that divorce itself is uh, the close to the or the unpardonable sin and that if you divorce, then you are signing your fate in hell or at least purgatory. What they, this thing that they made up called purgatory. And so what I think we're going to see here in a second is that um, the truth is that, yeah, sure, divorce is a terrible thing. Nobody that I know that's gone through divorce would ever say, hey, sign up for it. It's a terrible thing. But if God himself has been through it and come out in an amazing new covenant, we who have been through this can realize that, wait a second, God's not done with me. He's not finished with me because I made some choices in the past. In fact, what's going to be very eye-opening to us, I think, is so many of us are basing our current marriage with our husband, with our wife, on God's first marriage, which is totally different than God's second marriage. Let's take a look at what I'm saying here, or at least what the Lord is saying that's more important. Verse 32, he says, so a day is going to come when I'm going to establish a new covenant, a new relationship, a new marriage, if you will, with the house of Israel, the house of Judah. And he says, it's not like the covenant which I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand, leading them out of the land of Egypt. So this new marriage with Israel is going to be nothing like the first marriage with Israel. He describes that first marriage, that first covenant. My covenant, which they broke And do you see what the next verse is, the next line? Although I was a what? Husband. That sounds like a marriage, doesn't it? I hear God saying, I was their husband. And that wasn't enough for them. And they broke the vows of this marriage that they had with me. Let me recap real quickly what the vows not A-E-I-O-U, right? The vowels, it's hard for me to say that word, vowels, is that right? Of the first marriage that God had with Israel. It's actually found right here in uh, Exodus chapter 19. It's very clear. This is after they've been rescued from Egypt. We just sang a song talking about walking across on dry land, a picture of what our deliverance through Christ from slavery, just like the Israelites were enslaved. They've come across on dry land. They've come to Mount Sinai, and God is about to give them the Mosaic, what we call the Mosaic Law. And here is the vowels, the vowels. That's hard. I don't know. The conditions. Doesn't get a marriage. The vowels. Now if, now then, if, this is God saying, if you, you Israel, if you will indeed obey my voice, and if you will indeed keep my com- covenant, then you shall be my own possession among all the peoples, for all the earth is mine. And I put in red there on emphasis. So here's the vows. If you do this, Israel, keep everything that I'm about to tell you, then things are going to be good. You'll be my possession. I will protect you. I will guard you. You will be a bride unto me, and I will be your husband. Things will be perfect. So these are the conditions. These are the vowels. 
And a few verses later, that's verse 5 and verse 8, here's the response. You've been to a wedding, right? You know, the preacher says, do you, do you, do you? He says, I do. Says to the wife, do you, the woman, do you, do you, do you? She says, I do. Well, in this first marriage of God and Israel, he says, here's the conditions. If you do this, then I will do that. If you obey perfectly, then I will. And here's Israel's response. All the people answered together and said, all the Lord has spoken, we will do. In other words, they said, I do. Anybody ever said that at a wedding? Right, we did. I do, I do. There's these stipulations, these conditions, these vows that are given, and you say, we do, or I do. And that's exactly what Israel is doing here. The condition of this new covenant was if you obey then I will continue with you. But if you do not, then I will not continue. There will be an ending of this relationship, an ending of this covenant, an ending of this marriage. So the basis of this first marriage between God and Israel was the, not just the faithfulness of God, but the condition of this marriage with Israel was also the faithfulness of the bride, Israel. Well, God just told us what happened to that marriage that union, it failed. The vows were broken. In fact, Hebrews says that the whole reason the second covenant was put into effect was because the first covenant was weak and useless. But the question was, is God done with Israel? And the answer is no. Because he, going back to Jeremiah 31, he says this is this new covenant that I'm going to make with them. And we've looked at this a lot in the past, so we're not going to spend a whole lot of time on this section here. But he says, here's the vowels. Here's what this new covenant is going to look like. So the old covenant was based upon their faithfulness to what I told them to do. But this new covenant is going to be based on something totally different. It's not like that at all. He says, here's the covenant. I'm going to put my law, think of my desires, I'm going to put them within them. I'm going to put my desires within them. I'm going to put them on their heart. I'm going to put them within their mind. And I will write it on them. I will be their God. And, I, and they shall be my people. Verse 34, they will not teach again each man his neighbor and each man his brother, saying, know the Lord, know the Lord, for they will all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for... And here's how it's all possible. I will forgive their iniquities and their sins. I will remember no more. And again, we've looked at this a lot of times uh, throughout the course of our, our, our history or as a church because this is what the writer of Hebrews quotes over in Hebrews 8 and Hebrews 10. So we're not going to get into the details of this passage, but I want to go right next to this, right after this, to verse 35. Now look at this. He's still describing the conditions or the vowels of the new covenant. This is a part that we don't really take a look at much, so I want to park on this for a second. He says, thus says the Lord. Now, he describes the Lord who says this, who gives the sun for light by day and who gives the fixed order of the moon and the stars for light by night. Thus says the Lord who stirs up the sea so that its waves roar, the Lord of hosts, is his name. So he's just describing the Lord who is setting the conditions of this new covenant. He talks about this fixed order. He talks about the moon. One of the things, the first things that Gwen learned in kindergarten 
was how the moon worked, the rotation around the world, the, the earth, and how it was, you know, half moon, full moon, no moon, all that sort of stuff. And as a kindergartner, they're able to explain this fixed order of the moon. And what the Bible is saying is that it is God who is the one who puts the fixed order of the universe into effect. In fact, does anybody already know, just off the top of your head, when the next eclipse is? Allie? 2024. What grade are you in? Fourth grade. A fourth grader knows already April 8th. Anybody know that? I had to look it up. April 8th, 2024 is the next full, next North American full eclipse. All right, there's others elsewhere, but, you know, we don't care about them. Um, but how do we know that? How do we know that? Wouldn't it have been kind of humorous if all these people lined up in Oregon and all the way through the, the, the country, all the way down to South Carolina, and they got their glasses, and they're there, and nothing happened? And somebody has some egg on their face, but they know it because there is a what? It's in red. Fixed order. And he, Jer- the Lord is telling Jeremiah that it is the Lord himself who put the f- order into effect. Now, we know this. We know there's a fixed order. We know things are on a clock, and they work in this order. Now, look at verse 36. This is so cool. He's talking about the vowels of this new covenant. Look at this. This is so awesome. If this fixed order departs, meaning the moon doesn't rise tonight, the sun doesn't come up tomorrow, meaning everybody's lined up from Oregon to South Carolina and no eclipse, if the fixed order departs from before me, declares the Lord, then, so look at these if-thens, Then the offspring of Israel will also cease to be a nation before me forever. You picking up on this? What are the if-thens now? Based on whom are the if-thens now in this new covenant? Can Israel do anything to change the fixed order of the planets, of Halley's Comet, of eclipses, of the moon and the stars? What can Israel do to change that? Nothing. And so what God is saying, I'm the one who put this whole thing into order, and the moment at which this order no longer is in order, that's when you'll no longer be a nation before me, Israel, in this new covenant. So in other words... This new covenant is not based upon you, bride. This new covenant is based upon me. Have you ever wondered? Oh, wait, no, wait. I got I to gotta hit myself. Look at this next verse. He's not done. He talks about fixed order. Verse 37. Thus says the Lord. Here's some more vowels of this new covenant. This is cool. Here's an if. If the heavens above can be measured. Now, what is he talking about? He's talking about, you know, the distance between the sun and the moon. Different, I mean, the earth, the, the earth and the moon, the, the sun and the earth. He's talking about, I think, the universe. He says, if the heavens above, I don't think he's talking about, you know, like the third heaven, like, you know, what we think, like where, where God lives, where we're from. I think he's talking about the heavens above, the, the, the space 
the universe. If the heavens above can be measured, let's, let's skip the next part. Let's go down. i got a laser. Is it working? Maybe not. Then, well, then I will also cast off the offspring for all that they've done. So, so let's, let's don't run past that too fast. If the heavens above can be measured, then I will cast off Israel because of something they've done. Now, let's think about this. Why is it so difficult to measure the heavens, the universe? Any thoughts? Okay. It's moving, changing. Any other thoughts? Why can we not, I mean, we can measure the distance between me and Drew. Why can we not measure the universe? It's infinity. We know no end to it. So, Mr. Math teacher Craig, if we have a starting point, but we have no ending point of reference, can we determine the distance between those two points? I'm getting a head shaking no. So, if you've ever wondered why the universe is so stinking big and eternal or infinite, here's why. The universe is infinite with no ending because the universe itself is a part of the vows of God's new covenant. Because the moment at which the universe itself can be measured, in that moment, God will renege his new marriage to Israel. Does that make sense? That sinking in? The universe is so large and unmeasurable because if it were measurable, the new covenant would end from existence. So what can Israel do to limit the infinite size of the universe? Is Israel going to invent a telescope that can measure infinite distances? You see this? So the moment at which the heavens themselves can be numbered, in that moment, the new covenant, this new marriage ends. But he also says, if the foundations of the earth below are searched out. So not just eternal, infinite heavens, But he says the moment at which the earth, the core of the earth is traversed, in that moment, once a human being walks through the core of the earth, in that moment, this covenant with Israel will end. Now, what's the difficulty of walking through the core of the earth? Liquid hot magma, right? Okay, Dr. Evil. Liquid hot magma. Did you know that the core of the earth is actually 10,800 degrees Fahrenheit? That's as hot as the surface of the sun. So the moment at which you walk through the surface of the sun, the core of the earth, in that moment, this covenant that God has established, this new marriage that God has with Israel will end. So if you've ever wondered why the crust of the earth is floating around on this liquid hot 10,000 degree magma, here's why. 
because it's a part of the vows of God's marriage that we call the new covenant. If these things can happen, the fixed order ends, heavens are measured, the foundations of the earth are traversed. If though, when those things happen, I will then cast off the offspring of Israel because of something they have done. So in other words, this new marriage, this new covenant that God has with this people he keeps referring to as Israel is not based on anything. Israel, the new bride, the new group here in this new marriage could do or not do. Israel isn't, they can walk through, you know, the Red Sea, but they're not walking through the core of the earth. So what did we learn from Ephesians? Remember what we learned through Ephesians? In Ephesians, when we walked through Ephesians, we learned that all the Jews knew that these promises were for them. We were the chosen one. We had this, these promises. But remember what we saw in Ephesians chapter 1, 2, and 3 especially? But there was a hidden mystery that this thing called Israel in the new covenant isn't just simply the physical offspring of Israel, but this Israel in the new covenant is all those, Jew and Gentile, who place their faith in the faithfulness of the one making these vows. And remember in Ephesians, it says, you Gentiles. We Jews, we knew this was for us, but what we've discovered is that it's also for you Gentiles. So when he says here, for the things Israel has done in this new covenant, the new covenant Israel are those who believe in Jesus, which is the church, which is you and me. And so what I hope we are seeing, and we're going to wrap this up, is that the first covenant that God had, his first marriage, though he was a husband, his first marriage was based on the faithfulness of the groom, God, and the bride, Israel. And as soon as they failed, the marriage was dissolved. Let's call it divorce. But in this new covenant, it's totally different. This new covenant is nothing based on what the bride could do or not do. In fact, they'd have to change the fixed order. They'd have to measure the universe. They'd have to walk through the core of the earth in order for them, the new bride, to be cast off because of something they've done. So here's our journey marker. And it's really, really small for some reason. I don't know if you can make that bigger before you, uh, because I don't know if I can read that. Um, Actually, that's a, YouTube link. Uh, so let's go. Here, here it is. All right. We got it. Here's the journey marker. No, we're, it's all right. All right, so here we go. Here's the journey marker. God's current marriage, not his first, but his current marriage is based on his faithful commitment. Not on the bride, but on his. Now look at this. This is a question for us. What if my marriage was also based on God's faithful commitment to the bride. In other words, which marriage of God are we basing our marriage upon? Are we over here in the shadow 
basing our marriage on God's first covenant marriage, meaning if my bride does this, then I will love her. Then I will care for her. Then I will. But it's all based on her doing these things, meeting these expectations, satisfying me in these ways. If she does that, then I will protect her, love her, guide her, cherish her. That's the first covenant. I'm just going to tell you, go on a limb here, that that doesn't really work all that well. Because the substance of the first covenant that God had with Israel did not last. In fact, before Moses even made it down the mountain, that covenant was already broken. I mean, there's some pretty short marriages in Hollywood these days, but the marriage between God and Israel was really, really short, like 40 days or less. But what we've got to get to is to see that the true substance of our marriage to our bride, to our wife, to our husband, what's casting that shadow is not the first covenant of if you, then I will this, but it is based upon my faithfulness, the faithfulness of God himself in the person of Jesus Christ to his bride, on his faithfulness, not the bride, but his faithfulness, the marriage exists. And so what if that became the basis of our marriages? Meaning, as I'm over here, when life is getting difficult and life is getting tough and life is getting fragile, instead of looking to the first marriage that God had with Israel and saying, see, if you then this, what if I look to the second marriage, the one that I'm actually a part of, the one that is the substance of my shadow over here, and I observe the faithfulness of that groom to me, the bride, and let that love that Jesus has for me and his faithfulness to me, knowing that he will never leave me, never depart from me, knowing that I will never change the fixed order, measure the universe, or traverse the core of the earth, knowing that I cannot change the vows of the covenant that I have with him, and I receive by faith the the virtue of his love for me as I receive that, and I get to know, husbands, how much Christ loved the church, then I can turn my chair around and say, hey, hey, bride, hey, woman, hey, lover, I want to now pour into you what is clearly being poured into me. But if we keep basing our marriages on if you, then I, and if you, then, I'm just telling you, it's never going to be fun. Never going to be fun. I took the wedding vows that I use at a, in weddings and I rewrote them a little bit. And I thought of what would it be like to actually have seen a marriage relationship between the church and the groom. In a typical marriage that we have here on earth, the preacher asks the groom, do you do all these things? Do you promise to do all these things to the bride? And they say, I do. And so there's an, a mutual exclusive we do's. And then there's the repeating of the vows that's done by both. But really in this new covenant, there's really just a commitment and a promise from the groom. And the commitment promise of the bride is just simply to believe it. And so I, I don't know if this is beneficial or helpful, but 
want to read this. It says, do you, talking to the bride, do you, in the presence of God and these assembled witnesses, do you, the bride, promise to believe how much Jesus loves you? Do you promise to believe how much Jesus cherishes you as you are, in fact, his very own body? And he will cherish you and love you in your sickness and in your health and your prosperity and in your adversity. Do you, bride, promise to rest in the reality that he, the groom, Jesus, has joined himself to you to be faithful to you as long as his life shall last? Do you? Do you promise to believe his love, to receive his faithfulness? And I think the answer is either yes or no. And then turning to Jesus, I see, oh, no, I don't. I'll read this to you. I see to Jesus the officiant saying, Jesus, repeat after me. And listen to these words. I know they're not on the screen, but. Listen to Jesus in this covenant marriage with you. Not like the first covenant, but this new marriage. I, Jesus, take you, the church, insert your name here, to be my wedded wife. I take you to have you and to hold you from this day forward. Whether you are rich or poor in this world, I will take you. Whether you have a good day or you have a bad day in this world, I will hold you. I take you to cleave unto you And to you only, as long as my life, hear him say that, as long as my life shall last. With your faith in my faithfulness, I, Jesus, wed thee. With my full, loyal love, I thee endow. All of my life, including my eternal past and my eternal tomorrows, with thee I share. By my very name, I swear it. For I cannot swear by anything greater. I don't know if that affects you the way it affects me. But when I think of and dwell on and rest in His faithful commitment to me, And not only what he's done for me, but what he's done to me in the ending of my old life and the creation of a new in him. 
knowing that it is based not on my doing, but fully upon His faithfulness and His eternal life. For He saves completely as long as His life lasts. It just, from the depths of my soul, it wells up a desire to gladly fulfill the greatest commandment of this new covenant. How can I hear the words of Jesus in His vows towards me and His promises to me and receive this love He has for me and not in effect turn and desire to pour that same love in this context of this series into my wife? How can I not hear His faithfulness to me, His desire to, to, to cherish me as His own body and believe that with every core, fiber of my core, and then turn to my wife and say, well, I'll love you as best as I can love myself. No. I now, being filled with the fullness of God's love for me, have the ability to now finally love her. For Christ, who is my life, is able to love her. I don't know. I think it's a lot simpler than we've made it, this thing of marriage. But we've got to fix our eyes on the faithfulness of Jesus to His bride if we're ever, ever, ever going to be able to love our wives or our husbands as Christ loves us. So what do we see this morning before we pass our mic around? Number one, God's first marriage was based to Israel was based on expectations that the other must meet. The marriage was based on expectations the other must meet. Does that sound like your marriage? If so, I'm just telling you it's not going to be fun. Number two, in God's current marriage to the church, that is, believing Jews, Gentiles, those who believe, God did both his part and he did our part, the bride's part. I love that. It's not going to be conditioned upon what you do. I'm going to do it all. If the fixed order is erased, the heavens are numbered, the core of the earth is traversed, then it will end, and that's never going to happen. He did both his part and our part. That's from last week. I don't know why that's here. We'll just go back to this one. I'll read you these next three. Sorry about that. These next two. Number three, what are we seeing today? When we base our marriages on the expectations the other must meet, things simply do not go well. In other words, if my affections and my love towards my bride, as wonderful and lovely as she is, if my desires for her, my love for her, are based upon expectations I have for her, well, what happens when she doesn't meet an expectation I've placed upon her? See, that's the first marriage that God had. But, number four, what we saw today, when we base our marriage on God's faithful commitment to us, then, 
And only then does the shadow of our union with our bride and our groom start to look and resemble the substance of Christ and His church. In other words, we start loving because He loved us first. So I hope that is of help and of benefit and is of encouragement because sure, we can discuss the seven steps to getting a better marriage, but I'm just saying if we don't come to terms with what the substance really is in Christ's faithfulness to His church, then we will never operate out of that wellspring of life within us. We will always just simply be trying to muster up a love, a forgiveness, a peace in our marriage based on how well we can do that in the flesh. As our custom is, uh, we have about 10 or so plus or minus minutes left. If anybody has a, a thought, a word of encouragement, a question, I already see a couple of hands. We're going to go ahead and pass our mic and see what the saints have to say. Um, this was super cool for me today because in my geometry classes, we're literally doing if-then statements. Um, so not to get boring and talk about geometry, but I've got homework to do because there are certain statements that you can make by twisting or changing the arguments that are either logically invalid or have to be true all the time. So like, if I were to say, if you are my son, then your name is Graham. Like that is a guaranteed true statement. I have one child, name is Graham. If you just change the order, or if you just negate that, that doesn't necessarily have to be true. Like, if you're not my son, then your name's not Graham. That's not true. Or if your name is Graham, then you're my son. That's not true. But if we do all of that at the same time and create the positive, if your name is not Graham, then you are not my son. That's guaranteed to be true. So I have homework to do. I want to go home with these and and play with them a little bit. But the way I teach it, on day one is the if part is the hypothesis. That's what we're testing out. And if we can show that that was indeed true, the then part is the conclusion. That's the promise of what we can take to the bank. And the initial, um, I went back and looked at it again, the initial covenant, the original covenant, is he's talking with Israel. If you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, that's what was put to the test. And we now some many thousand years later, have seen how that played out. We have the tangible evidence that the if part was not satisfied. The second half of that, the new covenant, um, we're not thousands of years after the earth falling apart or the, the order being destroyed. We are, this new covenant, I, I hear it loud and clear, like, are we ever really going to be able to test that that hypothesis, if the heavens can be measured and if the foundations of the earth can be searched out below or like if the order falls apart, we can't test that. So we, by a leap of faith, assume great is thy faithfulness, that the conclusion, that guarantee that comes after the then, that is held fast, that like we trust that God knows that his hypothesis that he's given to us is going to remain true, and we can check the box. And by that action, we can receive that conclusion for ourselves. I just, I don't know, maybe it's because of the geometry in me. 
I thought that was so cool. And then I, I, I came back to a thought that I had from a college level course that was on just math logic in general. And it was again playing with logical statements, what kind of conclusions you could make as a result of shifting stuff around. But one of the arguments was if you start an argument with a falsehood, like if your original if then is false, you can say whatever you want after that and it might as well be true because you're arguing off of a premise that's just dumb, for lack of a better word. And so I, I look at some of the preaching um, that we might hear on television or on the radio or just these messages over the you know, several thousand years of church history that people have assumed as true because the premise on which they were built was false. And so it just, to me, seemed like if we're going to make if-thens, I just, I want to believe that at the core of all of the conclusions I make is the truth of the gospel and just a, an urge to, man, just rest on these promises of God. Awesome, Craig, because like he says, for all that they have done. So what if I keep doing the same sin over and over and over? Well, sin will not get you anywhere, but have the heavens been measured? <laughs> right? Has the core of the earth been traversed? No. Then Israel will not be cut off because of something you've done. Well, but what if it's the same thing over and over? What, what if it's this big sin? What if it's, you know, this or that? Has the core of the earth been traversed? Have, you know, we can keep going back to that and say, and rest and say, wow, you know, it really isn't based upon what I in the flesh do, but it's all upon what he has already done in the removal of my sin now he will never motivate me to sin he'll never lead me to sin but sinning will happen and the sinning that happens will never cut us off because this new covenant is not based upon our track record it's so awesome and freeing and makes us want to like i was trying to explain earlier it makes us want to love because as we receive the love i mean is anybody motivated as we've talked on these things to go out and rob the liquor store no, maybe later, you know, but not right now because that, that's not what Christ is motivating us to do, to sin, to rob, to steal, to take things. He is motivating us to give the very thing that he has given us. And that's so cool to me. It's counterintuitive. Any other thoughts uh, before? Yeah, uh, Steve. Yet once again, I understood a math teacher. <laughs> Amazing. Um. Well, thank you so much, and, and you all have so much to be thankful for as believers in Jesus Christ. Does anybody know what yesterday was besides the end of the month? Yom Kippur. And for those of you that know me, I'm married to a Jewish woman. And let me tell you what you have to be thankful for. Walt's sermon today was about 40 minutes, maybe, 45. My son and my wife went to synagogue yesterday in Richmond. They got there late, as per their custom, at 10.45. The sermon started at 10. Guess when they got out yesterday? 1.30. And they do a lot of up and down and kneeling and up and down and up and down. <laughs> they were worn out. And guess what else they did? They didn't eat until we all got to Richmond. We got to Richmond at a little after 6. 
day was the biggest holiday in the Jewish religion. Yom Kippur. Does anybody know what that day means? The Day of Atonement. The one day that they ask God for his forgiveness. And my nephew, who is my son's age, four months older, yesterday, he's a real character. He's a He's a genius, literally. His IQ is off the charts, and often we get in discussions about religion and faith and everything else, and he's being brought up through the, the Jewish tradition. And we were all standing around the island last night getting ready to serve ourselves. And I said, are you hungry, Jarrett? He goes, no. He said, Steve, I sinned again. Daniel and I found a bag of Doritos a little while ago, and... I succumbed. I just succumbed. And I said, man, it sure is hard to keep up with those 13 laws, isn't it? <laughs> and I think it probably somewhat went over his head. But what I really meant to say after that was <laughs> living by grace is a whole lot more better. I like to say a whole lot more better <laughs> because I continue to sin all the time. And as Walt reminded me, I've been so convicted recently of how much I let my wife down weekly, daily, um, and hopefully, some way, somehow, her love isn't contingent on me letting her down. One of her big things is cleanliness and tidiness around the house, and I continue to fail to put my clothes away <laughs> they lay around <laughs> and she says Steve when are you ever going to put your clothes away I will I will I promise well I keep letting her down and God is convicting me that I will never ever ever by my own strength meet all of her conditions never will I do it I used to live earlier in our marriage uh, the way that I think Walt sort of alluded to earlier, that if you do this for me, I'll do that for you. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it just doesn't work out very good. How, how'd that work for you? <laughs> and, and I think that being brought up Catholic, one of the, or two of the commandments that I so much focused on, and I think deceptively so, and I heard my friend Neville, Neville I just met this morning, but he has known my parents now for some time. Neville was a pastor of 40 years in Jamaica. And it's just mysterious to me how Neville showed up this morning. He's getting ready to move to Syracuse. And I'll tell you a second, we've got minutes though, how he and my parents met. But anyway, um, The, the idea that I am to, to love my neighbor as much as I love myself, I've heard that ringing in my ears for so many years. And I used to ask myself, I don't love myself that much. How can I possibly love a neighbor the way I love myself? That wouldn't be too good to my neighbor. I wouldn't be too nice. But what Walt clearly shared this morning is that in the new covenant, 
God gave us a much more better way to see the love that we need to love each other with, and that is by his great love for us, we should love others. And when I think about that, and I think about that with my wife, I think, daggone it, she left the lights on in the car. You know how your car automatically turns lights on when you open the door? It's a strange thing in the November family. That's my wife's family. They all turn that automatic light off, and they keep it off. So you go out to their cars at night, and you open the door, and I'm wondering where the snake is or where the, 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 the criminal is. I, I can't see a thing. I can't even see the seat to get in it. And I don't understand why they turn that one light in their life, besides a refrigerator light, why do they turn it off? It's designed so that when you open the door, it comes on. When you shut the door, it turns off. Last week, my wife was walking away after I drove us home from, from some event, and she kept walking, turning around. She said, Steve, the light's not going to turn off. I said, it will, it will. I promise it will. And after, you know, 40 seconds or whatever, it turned off. But they just don't believe that that darn light's going to turn off by itself. I don't understand it. But anyways, anyways, thank God that through transformation over the last four or five years, Walt has shown me by these types of things in the Scripture that my love <laughs> is from, from God is not conditional on my love for him or my behavior towards him. Because if it were, <laughs> I would not be loved that much. I, I continue to fall short of, of being a good bride. I, I'm a male, but I'm a bride also. That's kind of a weird thing. <laughs> but <laughs> thank God he continues to love me despite everything that I, I am. Yet, as I've gotten older, I've really, truly decided that I do love myself because God created me this way. Quirks and all, weird things and all. The fact that I don't always pick up my clothes, he still loves me. I was born with that flaw. I, 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 I mean, I, God just made me that way. I'm sorry, dear. But it, it, it's just such a wonderful thing to know that my love from him is not conditional. It is freely given. And when I think about what he did for that love for me, it just blows my mind. And I can't wait to go home and love my wife and, and, and show her that love that he has for me. As Walt says, it's not a, well, I got to do this. I've got to love her. <laughs> it's a desire now. And I'm hopeful and prayerful that over the time it, it, it changes her heart as well. Getting to Neville. Neville's wife, Palmyra, Palmyra is her name, is a very striking woman. And any of you all that have gone to Harris Teeter down the road here have probably seen her in her blue shirt, usually hair up in a bun, pushing carts. 
And I suspect that my dad one day was sitting in his car in the parking lot waiting on my mom doing her grocery shopping. My dad doesn't get out and walk too well. Saw this striking woman and some way somehow got her attention and met her. I suspect that what my dad saw in Palmyra was a true love for the Lord that drew my dad's attention to her. They became fast friends. The next thing I know, they're telling me that they invited them over to my parents' house, them being Neville and, and Palmyra, and they talked incessantly about this great couple that they met and that Neville was a, was a pastor, retired. Well, my, brother, my mother found that she had breast cancer this, this spring. And they told me uh, right afterwards that Neville had been to the home and prayed over my mother. And I was just so grateful that he was able to minister her in that way, and it made a profound effect. And I still, some of you that know, know me, I'm brought up Catholic. My parents are Catholic. And one of the greatest questions that, that I still have is, have they been born again? And early in the service, we sang about that, and Walt spoke about being born again. And as I understand the Bible, we're not guaranteed anything in heaven until we have been born again. And that is such a profound thing, such a wonderful thing, such a clearly noted thing that it, 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 it's just remarkable to me that we need to be born again of the Spirit. And I, I can't help but think that, that Neville's presence in my parents' life perhaps shared some of that, you know, because I, I still, I question, are my parents truly saved? Now, you would look at their marriage of 60 years, this, this 60, 60 years, you'd say, wow. They are the epitome of a perfect marriage. They have loved each other through thick and thin, but I still have that question in my mind. Have they been born again? And so, anyway, I would ask for prayers of that, and, and, uh, and again, just so thankful that I have been born again and that I do believe in everlasting life because of that. Amen. Amen. Thank you so yeah, much. Yeah, thanks, Steve. Yeah. Thanks. Um, Anybody uh, anybody else have a word? We, we're running out of time, or have, but I, we're already running out of time. Might as well take another minute. Anybody else? Yeah, David. Okay, yeah. Well, I, I'm, I, I don't have anywhere to go, but I just want to be somewhat mindful. You know, as, as you were talking, um, I've never really thought in terms of divorce from the Lord's perspective, and the way that I've of it's more in the context of Romans 7 where we are free to marry him and I believe he us um, because of the death you know Romans 7 speaks of you know one covenant ends through death and so anyway just food for thought but that's where my mind was this morning was Romans 7 as you were talking yeah I I, I don't um I don't uh the, the yeah no I'm with you yeah yeah. Yeah. 
Right. Any other uh, thoughts, questions before we head out? If you're able to stick around uh, and help us put these tables back, that'll help get the janitor out a little bit faster. You don't have to pay as long for them to be here. That'd be fantastic. Um, let's do close with a word of prayer for your mama um, and, uh, and for both of your parents. And I don't want to put, uh, Scott, you guys on, on the spot or anything, but I, we, we'll, I want to pray for Scott and his wife, um, um, Anne, no, uh, Nicole, sorry. Uh, they're up visiting from uh, Texas looking for where the Lord may lead them as far as future uh, uh, living locations. You know, they want to get out of that area. And so let's just pray God's blessing and wisdom over them. They have uh, been following the podcast for a little bit. And so we're really glad to have them here and want the Lord's direction for them. And so uh, let's pray for this. Let's stand and be dismissed with the word of prayer. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for this just uh, amazing love. We And, and we don't um, want to water it down or or miss any uh, ounce of it. We want it full strength, full strength, the finished work of Christ and this love that you have for us. And we do pray for Steve's parents, uh, both physically, um, but even much more greater than that, uh, their heart. Uh, Steve, his own testimony, saying he's not completely sure of where their heart is. And so I just pray for a renewed heart, a a new heart, a new life in Christ that comes by faith in Jesus, in Jesus alone. And uh, thank you for Neville and his work that you have inspired him to do to minister to them and to pray for them in these various ways as well. We pray for Scott, Scott and Nicole as they've got a lot of decisions to make in the future as well as what they want to do with their family and relocation and a lot of amazing things as he shared a little bit of his journey with uh, me earlier. And I just pray for them that you'd give them a wisdom as they move forward in faith of where exactly you would have them to go. And we pray for our community. We pray for our fellowship that uh, those who desperately need to hear the life-changing, relaxing news of the finished work of Christ, that you will cast away your bride, as soon as the heavens are measured, the fixed order departs, and the core of the earth is traversed, those who need to hear this, that they would hear it, and they would rest in it, and be made new by the joy of you, of you yourself. So, Father, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you again for listening to today's podcast of the teaching at Life Journey Church in Crozet, Virginia. We'd love to hear from you. If God is doing something special in your life, let us know by sending an email to info at lifejourneyva.com. Feel free to pass today's teaching on to any friends and family that you'd like, but please don't change any of it or charge for it. This podcast is made available for free as a ministry of Life Journey Church. If you would like to support the proclamation of the gospel of the grace of God, you can make a donation now on our website, lifejourneyva.com. Have a great day.